Today we are going to be in Ephesians 4 talking about walking in the school of Christ. What do you think for a moment? Think for a moment with me. If you were to be given a test, and that test is one subject, Jesus. Who, who is Jesus? Define for me or describe the heart and the mind, the priorities, what's important to Jesus. Describe what he did. Tell me what he does. Tell me what difference he makes in your life. Tell me with honesty and with clarity that if he were here among us in the flesh today, would we be able to recognize Jesus in the flesh? Ephesians 4, right in the hub in verse 13, Paul talks about the goal for God's people of a unity that is meant. A unity and the goal of being one and growing in Christ Jesus. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There's a unity we have as God's people, a unity and that we have the same aim, the same ambition, and the same plan to grow and mature into the fullness of Jesus. That is, each one of us individually and thus collectively, are trying to the best of our ability to be more and more like Jesus. Well, what's that mean? What's that look like? You know what's interesting is that verse 17, he starts by showing us what it doesn't look like. In verse 17, he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given them over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. He says, you know, the, the way you used to live and the way you used to walk is not it. And so if you're looking how to become a mature man in Christ, don't look back for this new path forward. Don't look to what is familiar for this new goal set before you as a new man and a new woman in Christ. And then he describes in verse 20 and 21 is the school of Christ, this education in Christ. Hang mm. tight. Let's just look at it together on the page where you go in verse 20 with, oh, I did that. Verse 20, thank you so much, our brothers. They are amazing and they do so much. Thank you. You learned Christ. Listen to the language of education. You learned Christ in verse 20. You heard him in verse 21. You have been taught in him. Now make the point. Verse 20, he says, this whole way you used to live and think and behave, you didn't learn Jesus this way. That's not Jesus. That's not what it means to be in Jesus. But you've learned Jesus, you've been taught him, you've heard him, and you've been taught in him. This is the point Paul is making, that Jesus is the subject, and Jesus is the teacher. Jesus teaches his people what it means to be more like him. You've not learned it before, but come ready to learn. Come with your pencils ready, come with your open hearts, because Jesus, the master teacher, is going to show you what it means to be mature, a mature man or woman in faith, mature like him. And the rest of this section, he illustrates it. The whole rest of this section in Ephesians 4, he shows us what it means to become more 
like Jesus, taught by Jesus. And so it starts with this, that from corrupt passions, we change to godly desires. That corrupt passions he talked about in verse 19 of sensuality and every kind of impurity with greediness. He repeats that in chapter 5 and in verse 3 where he says that immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And the things that used to be so important, the things that filled my heart, and that's kind of worth chasing, the things that I wasted so much time on. Well, let's think back on that, brethren. The things I devoted so much of my mind to, so much of my life to, all the time I wasted thinking I wish I had what they had. I wish I had their, their goods. I wish I had their strength. I wish I had their beauty. All the time wasted in my mind of lusting and desiring for things that, that just are not proper among God's people. The things that Paul would say made me an enemy of Christ because he says in verse 19, the destruction of those whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, they set their minds on earthly things. I had a God and it wasn't Christ. It wasn't the Father. I was led by my passions. I was fueled by my lust. I devoted my life to things that were just dangerous and destructive and worldly. But now it's different. Now in verse 24, because of Jesus, he says that we are putting on this new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Hey, that used to be me, but now I'm following a new mode, a new mind, and a new master. I'm made in righteousness. That is, the things that I desire are right. They're right to God, and they're right in life. They're pleasing to God. They follow His laws. They respect those who are made in the image of God. And it's holiness. My mind it doesn't go to the trending box of what the world thinks is important today. I'm not fueled by all the things the world says I need to be led by. All the things people say are important. No, I, I'm not trying to conform. I'm trying to transform my life through the renewing of my mind by setting my gaze on Christ. I don't want to be like the world. I want to be more like Him. I want to be holy. I want to be set apart. I want to be different. I used to be that way. I'm pursuing something higher now and greater. We're made of righteousness and holiness. And then He says, and true. You see, this new man in Christ has left from lying the truth, down at verse 25 in our context of Ephesians 4, lay aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Speak truth. Why? Because our God in verse 21 is truth. Jesus is truth. So what he says is truth. What he teaches is truth. The way he lived was authentic and sincere, not, a, not an ounce of hypocrisy was in Jesus. Thus he could say, as David so wonderfully alluded in the Lord's Supper talk, that his way is the way of truth and life. I am the way and the truth and the life. So, in verse 25, can we see that together? Those who want to be taught by Jesus to be like Jesus are putting to death lies. All of it. Deception. The white lies. Veiled conversations. Trying to deceive or delude. Saying things that are confusing. Purposely trying to mislead those around me. We're done with truth. We're, we're done with lies. We're not done with truth. Hold on. That sounded different in my head. We're done with lies. Because like Jesus, we are just a people built with truth. Which means we teach the truth. We teach truth. 
what we teach, what we say, what we share, what we post, the things we are producing is truth. Did you notice in verse 13 where he says the unity we are to share, to be united in the faith, the unity of the faith? It's really important to understand what Paul is saying here. Sometimes that word faith is used very broadly and generically. And to talk about an active trust in Jesus, that Hebrews 11 and verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes, though, we'll find that little article, the, the faith. In fact, it's used 39 times in our New Testament. Oftentimes, when we find the faith, it's not talking about a general trust in Jesus. He's not saying here, be united in the fact that you all trust in Jesus. He's talking about the teaching, the doctrine, the revealed message of God, the source of the faith. Earlier on, he says up in verse 5 that there is one faith, one truth, one revealed mind of God. That's what we are united on, the faith. As Paul would say in Acts 20, it is the whole counsel of God. And so this the faith is something that we are nourished on, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. Nourished on the faith, not a trust in Jesus but on the teaching, on the doctrine, on the pattern, on what it is that he has revealed. We're nursed on this faith, and that we are to be sound in this faith. He says in Titus 1 verse 13, sound healthy. That is, we're making sure that we understand it correctly and teach it correctly. There are some who can stray away from this faith. You can't stray away from trusting in Jesus, but you can stray away from his teaching. You can stray away from what it is that he has taught and expected and laid on his word but it's also true that we can keep this faith. Isn't that the main goal? I fought the fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And so in Acts 4 and verse 13, he says, we are united on the faith. What's that mean? We've been walking it through in Ephesians. And chapter 1, it was that prayer, open my eyes that I may understand the depth of his knowledge. If I go back with me in chapter 1, just notice it, because Jason took us there last week. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, Notice in verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Open my eyes that I may come to see and understand this faith, this gospel, this truth. And chapter 2 and verse 20, we made the point that he has built us as a church on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus, our cornerstone. And chapter 3, as Jansen took us this morning in chapter 3, that there was revealed in verse 4. When you read this, you can understand my insights into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets and the Spirit, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. What's he saying? The truth that has been revealed by God, through the Spirit, found in the Word of God, is the faith. And we are to be united in that faith. We stand on that faith. The faith is used synonymously in the New Testament with the gospel. Christ put us on the foundation of the prophets, the apostles, and himself, the cornerstone. When he says in 4.13, be united, we stand on that truth. We teach that truth. Even Jude says, we defend or contend for that truth. 
anyone who is calling for God's people to step off of God's pattern of Christ, of Christ's teaching of sound doctrine, we defend that false teaching by going back to the source and the standard of truth. People of the truth like Jesus teach the truth. We are also people who speak the truth. Back in Ephesians 4 and in verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We speak the truth. And the idea is we speak truth, whether it's kind truth, encouraging truth. Sometimes it's harsh truth. Sometimes it's a corrective truth, a rebuking truth. And no one likes that. But when it's spoken in love, you all have been there. You have the spouse who lovingly says, my dear, you have mashed potatoes on your chin. And the spouse who says, you look like a pig, wipe your face. When it's spoken in love, unity and growth are achieved. We speak truth. And we live truth. Sincere, authentic, consistent. The reason that people put their trust, the people of the world put their trust in the people of God is that they say this people is a different kind of people. They are governed by truth. They are directed by truth. They are genuine in who they are because of what they believe. Going on in our school of Christ, from the sinful to a sanctified anger, a change is taking place when we learn from our Lord. And in verses 26 and 27 of our context, he says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. The anger of the world that is self-focused and self-defending and self-deflecting, it's all about self. James made it really clear, the anger of man is not able to produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't start with the right motives. It does not produce the right responses. Man's anger is explosive. Man's anger is violent and aggressive. Man's anger is always directed at self preserving, defending, standing up for self. Far too many homes have tasted this kind of anger. Exploding anger, shouting and throwing and fits and rage. There is an anger, though, he says in verse 26, that comes from Jesus. A righteous anger. Jesus was angry when people abused and misused his father's temple. There's an occasion you remember in Mark chapter 5 when it says that he entered again in the synagogue and the man was there with a withered hand. Do you remember this scene in Mark 3? And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with what angered the Son of God? Yes, Jesus got angry. He was angry at the fact that there are some here who are so hardened at heart, they would rather see a man suffer in misery, no Jesus could heal him, Then it is to see the Son of Man offer grace and kindness and healing, a miracle that proved who Jesus was and the grace to a man desperate in need. Yes, he got mad. He was mad over unbelief. He was mad over hard hearts. He was angry over sin. That's the anger that achieves the righteousness of God. Angry for reasons that God would approve. Anger for reasons that honor and glorify God. Now, but you know so in verse uh, 27, even righteous anger. Even godly anger, if not dealt with, 
can become a problem. Even righteous anger, if not dealt with, can grow into bitterness and resentment. And so he says, don't let the sun go down with your anger. What is he saying? Deal with it. Don't give it to Satan. Deal with your anger. You can be angry, and it's righteous sometimes to be angry. It's righteous to be angry over things that are sinful, over people who have hard hearts, who are walking with God. But following Paul and following the example of Jesus is this. It's okay to get angry for the right reasons, but deal with it. Come to peace with it, and don't let Satan have a blank check with your heart. Be in control. That's the mode and the following of Jesus. We see in verse 28, from stealing to sharing, he says in verse 28, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has the need. Do you think of the teacher Jesus? Jesus did not take. Jesus did not come to steal. No, Jesus himself said that he did not come to be served, but to serve, not to take, but to give. And that's the mode. Here he says, you're not taking, you're not stealing. You're not being a leech, taking from others their money or their wealth or their time or their prosperity. And we're not doing that. Following Christ, we're not a people who check in and we clock in and we're working from home, but I'm not really working. I'm watching Netflix. I'm shopping on Amazon. We're not those kind of people. I tell you our struggle, though. Our struggle, I believe, far more often is not taking. Our problem with work is that we allow work to take from us. And so we work and we work and we work and we work these long hours and we take on way more projects than what we should really handle. And we're taken from our wives and we're taken from our kids. But we have ambitions of bigger homes, of grand vacations, of newer cars, of living in affluence because it's Dallas. And yet Paul says, I want you to work. I want you to work hard. I want you to work hard so that you can keep up with the Joneses. You can keep up with the next door neighbors. You're working so you can give. You're working so that you can use the result of that labor and the fruit of what you have received to bless others instead. Isn't that what Paul said? You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that it, by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What am I doing with what it is I've worked for? Am I building empires and walls to my name, monuments to my glory, or am I working to give, to serve, and to bless? Which would be following the master teacher? And in learning from Jesus, we turn from bitterness to grace. He says in verse 30, uh, 29 in our context, he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God and Christ has forgiven you. The way we used to live was very cold and harsh. You hurt me and I hurt you. You disappoint me and I'm done with you. But then something changes with Jesus. Jesus was kind to people that no one would be kind to. Jesus would listen to those who no one would have a conversation with that when others were ready with stones in their hand to condemn those guilty in sin, Jesus offered grace and a second chance. 
I don't know about you, but but for me, the, the reason those stories are written so deep, whether if it's Zacchaeus in the tree and Jesus is calling him down to go to lunch and he's so excited and he comes down and gives the chunk of his wealth back, or the woman by the well in John 4 who just keeps talking and talking and talking with Jesus about her story, or that woman in Luke 7 who can't do anything but help herself to cry and wipe the feet of Jesus with her tears. I'm not Jesus in those stories. But I do see myself as those who are really broken and in desperate need of someone who would listen, would care, would offer grace and forgiveness. The, the reason those stories are so touching is because I see myself in those people. Isn't that the point of verse 32? Of all the things we have tasted from our God, in light of the life we've lived, when he had every reason to inflict our bodies with cancers and to say, I'm just going to take them now, they're just so selfish, they don't care, but instead to give time Grace, kindness. It changes everything. Because he says in chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, as those who have tasted the amazing grace and kindness and love of God, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. If I'm going to walk in any way, it's not going to be in anger. It's not going to be in bitterness. I'm not going to walk through life with stones in my hand, ready to cast them down to those who disappoint me. I've tasted something that just has changed my life completely. Something I will never forget. Just as Zacchaeus. Or the woman in John 8, or the woman in John 4, or the woman in Luke 7 would never forget. And that's going to be the path I try to walk most desperate. That's where teacher Jesus is leading me closer to. You go back a little earlier on in our context. That goal was stated in verse 13 about the unity of this growth and maturity to the fullness of Christ. Notice in verse 14 the, the result of this. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects and to him who is the head, even Christ. See what he's saying here? The, the, the goal of this is that you're able to see through all the deceptions and lies and false paths in life and see the true life and the true path and the true model for your life, and that is Christ. Here's why that matters. There are a lot of Jesuses that will be put before your feet, and they're not all the same. You may see some today, because they were aired last year, about a Jesus who's just like me. A Jesus who fights for my issues. A, Je a Jesus who stands up for my ideals. A Jesus who walked in my shoes. 
about a Jesus who looks a lot like me. Do you see the shift? What happens if I make Jesus much more like me instead of making me more like him? What happens with a Jesus who's not so concerned with sin and sinful living? What happens with a Jesus who doesn't care about doctrine or truth or standards or patterns? Do you hear verse 20? You didn't learn him this way. That, that's not Jesus. When you start heading in the wrong direction, you will end in the wrong destination. If you use the wrong pattern, you're not going to have the right conclusion. The Jesus we have in the school of Christ is designed to show us that our motivation in this new life is others. Why? Why of all the things in this section, why is it we speak the truth for the sake of the wholeness of the body? Why is it we don't desire these sinful things anymore for the sake of those to whom it is resulting in? Why is it we are in control of our anger for the sake of peace in the lives of those around us? Why is it that we don't use our tongues to slander or to abuse others, but instead we're moved with kindness and grace for the sake of those who are put in our lives around us? The, the call of Jesus is this, dethroning self and enthroning Christ who came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came for people. Jesus was all about people. He allowed his life to be interrupted with people. He surrounded himself with people. He devoted 30 years to people. My motivation is people. Do nothing, Paul would say, from selfishness. Nothing. Absolutely nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Did, did you hear that in Ephesians 5 and verse 2? I'm walking in the imitation of Jesus who emptied, who sacrificed, who gave. This new life is about people. It's not about me. It's about others. Walking in the school of Christ reminds us that this new life's mandate is change. It's all about change. Did you not notice that from down in verse uh, 20, 20, all the way down to the end of this section? You once were, and now you are. You once were wearing these kind of clothes, but now you're to put on something new. It's all about change. It's all about progress. I don't know about you, if you were forced to do this, I think most education systems had this in the public school, you had to take a foreign language of some kind. Uh, we had Spanish, and that was it. I think they offered computer, trying to make that like savvy, like if you want to use computer language, that didn't stick uh, when we were going to school. So it was Spanish what we took. When you're taking the foreign language class, after a while, they expect you to say something in that foreign language. There's an expectation that if you've been going to this school and learning this subject for long enough, we should expect to see some change. That makes sense. I mean, Paul said... Uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15, take pains with these things, the things he's teaching. Take it to heart. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. We see that all the time. 
You take a baby to the doctor and the first thing they do is they pull out these charts and they start dropping all these numbers, which makes no sense to preachers. Your baby is this percentile. Her head is this big. What does that mean? <laughs> I thought there's one size of head. No, there's 20% and 30%. They weigh this percent. There's growth charts and weight charts. In school, and our kids are just about to hit it, there's progress reports to see if they are learning and growing if they're taking in the information correctly. But let me ask you, in light of what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 5, beginning of verse 12, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. Can, can you just ask yourself that question? I, I'm looking at some here, and you have been with Christ. You have been in the school of Christ. For 15, 20, 30, 40 plus years. And by this time, you would think, wouldn't you, after all this learning, all this time with the Word of God, all this time with God's people, all the sermons, all the Bible classes, all the examples pointing me to Christ, you would think at this point in my walk with Christ, I ought to be teaching. Teaching a lot more and not just being a student. I ought to be much more active in the local congregation than perhaps what I am. I ought to be much more confident in what I believe and sure of what it is I believe at this point. That I, at this point at all, should have a much better handle of some of the sins that I've wrestled with in my youth. If I've been with Christ this long and walking with Christ this long, you would expect that my children at this point would be far more interested and engaged and involved at this point. I can't answer that for you, but I know I need to answer it for myself. I've been in school for a while. I wonder if for some of us, we started, and we started great. And after that initial decision in obedience to the gospel, boy, we soared. And there was change immediately. But then maybe a new Christ came along. Maybe a different message came along. And we believed those lies which says, it's okay, it's okay. Like, you don't have to be that involved. You don't have to be that interested. You don't have to make those major changes to be a Christian. You don't have to worry about sin and, and, and righteous living. Just, just do your best. I, I, I can't, I've reached my plateau. This is as far as I get, and I have done what I can do, and that's it. I mean, there's, I am where I'm going to be. This is just who I am. Look at verse 20. You did learn Jesus that way. That's not Jesus. I wonder for some of us, we've looked at a verse like this one. Start with me at the end and we'll work backwards. Look at verse 6. I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we read that and say, I am ready. Work in me, God. Work a new work in me. Make me more like Jesus. Did you notice how that verse began, though? 
you got those coordinated conjunctions in your mind from Schoolhouse Rock? Conjunction junctions? And, but, for, nor, or, so, and yet? I don't know any Spanish, but I remember those. <laughs> Look how he began in verse 4. That Paul was always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel. When? When you first heard? When you first obeyed? Well, yes, then, on the first day, but even until now. For God, who started a good work, will bring it to completion. God, work in me. Have I stopped working? Where's my participation in this? Where's my effort in this? Yes, God is willing to work, and he has given everything necessary for us to grow and develop and to become more and more like Jesus. Maybe the issue is not on God's part, but it's on mine. I've just stopped. I've stopped growing. I've stopped trying. I've stopped participating. I didn't learn Jesus this way. The time we stop is when we go on to meet the Lord. And until then, until my very end, unless my mind ends and my body fades, I'm not stopping becoming more like Jesus. I've got a lot more to learn. I've got a lot more to do. I've got more to serve. I've got more to grow. The mandate is change, and the model is Christ. That's what this is all about. Now, I don't know about you. There's something immensely daunting about this. Have you wrestled with that? The fullness of Christ described in verse 13? Jesus was perfectly perfect. He never said the wrong thing. Even when tempted, he never sinned. The Pharisees could never trap him. Even in his anger, he never gave in to disobeying his father. He was always kind and patient. He always knew how to do the right thing in the right moment. Can you imagine what a difference it would be if I was a husband? If instead of today... The part of Jordan Shouse and this home is going to be played by Jesus. And my wife gets Jesus as a mate. And my children get Jesus as a father. And you get Jesus as a preacher. What if Jesus was in my shoes? How different would I handle the issues at home? What would be different at school tomorrow or in the workplace? How different would I worship here today? And treat these brethren as I go out these doors if it was Jesus in my shoes. That's what he's inviting us to. This beautiful invitation of being just like him is not a dream. It is Christ's call. Listen, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load, my burden is light. Look at this. The call of Jesus. He says, come. Come to me. Come wherever you are. Come heavy and burdened. Come far in a far country. Come far and distant from me in a pit of sin. Come to me and you will find rest. It's not rest because I'm really tired from a long week at work. It's not rest because I can't sleep because there's a baby at home. It's rest from the sin-wearied soul. It's burden from the pains and the guilt of my own choices that I can't escape. Come and you will find forgiveness. Come and you will find grace. Come and I will give you that release. Come. And he says, take. 
take my yoke. The yoke was that crossbar with the two U-shapes on the end that would fit on top of two animals, pairing and partnering them together, and whatever they were doing, pulling a wagon or a plow or something heavy. There's two images here. Take my yoke. The first image is, I'm the oxen. Jesus is the farmer. I'm taking his yoke. And that means this. I'm submitting to King Jesus. Where he directs, I go. Where he leads, I follow. I listen to his leading. I follow his commandments. I'm submitting to his, to his will. I'm taking his yoke. The difference is, not like the world, I tried the yoke of the world, and guess what? It crushed me. It was too much. I couldn't keep up with the demands and the ways of the world. Success by the ways of the world. But Jesus says, if you take my yoke, it's, it's easy. My burden is light. What you'll find is the life you've always wanted to live, the life to its fullest and abundance is found if you would just listen and follow me. You would just do things by my will. But the other picture is a yoke. It's not just one horse, one cow, but it's two. I'm yoked to Christ, but the picture is also I'm yoked with him. I'm not doing this through my own strength my own will. That's why Paul could say, even in, in absolute poverty, I can do all things through him. Through his mind and his strength and his guidance, I, I'm not left to do this on my own. And so come and take and then learn. Learn. Learn from me. Some versions will say, learn of me. Jesus the teacher. Jesus the subject. Learning prayer from Jesus. Learning how to teach like Jesus. Learning kindness from Jesus. Learning about worship and how to worship from Jesus. Learning how to listen from Jesus. Learning about how to handle your conflicts from Jesus. Learning about disappointments from others, from Jesus. Learning about what it means, what it literally means to take up a cross and deny myself in Jesus. Come, take, learn. And that is our call today. Come. No matter where you are, come. You are not too far. You are not too gone for the Savior. Come. You can't stay in sin and you can't stay in the world and you can't stay where you are. You have to leave sin and you have to leave your ways and you have to come to Him. And take. Take His words. Take His direction. Submit to His commands. Follow His will. And alert. And learn. I want to know. I want to know how to use this precious life he's given to me to its fullest. I want to learn how to handle the difficulties of life the way the Savior would. And so come as an empty and open vessel with that soft heart that says, I'm, I'm ready and I'm willing. Are you willing to do so today? If you're ready today, to make this change and to leave from here, from the school of Christ, 
one with him, walking closer and closer to him than ever before. This is where you need to be. If you're willing to confess Jesus as the Lord, to turn from those sins, to come to him, to put him on in baptism, from here you will go forth, a child of God adopted in his family, and started on that beautiful path of walking with the Savior. And if you have drifted today right here, do not leave this room. While we are singing this very song, come back. Come back to your God. Pray for forgiveness and help and strength. And if you want someone to stand by your side and pray with you, just just come. Come and help me come to you. Help your shepherds come to you. But let's leave here as one with our Savior. If we can help you in any way, let's do it now as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.